blessed with the message that I have in my heart for you today. Uh, I want to talk about faith, um, just what faith is from a grace perspective. Uh, you know, I've, <clears throat> I grew up in the Dutch Reformed Church and uh, from there went to a Pentecostal church for about six months and then got into the charismatic, charismatic move and the, just the, the whole thing about, uh, and the word of faith, wherein, uh, you know, I thank God for what I've learned in those circles. You know, we, sometimes we can later in life say, you know, maybe I disagree with this or I disagree with that, but at the end of the day, we do stand on the shoulders of what people have taught. So um, please understand that I'm not against anything. I'm not against any person. I'm not against a certain move or anything like that. I'm just here to share with you what the Lord has given me and how it has blessed me. And I trust that as you take this truth, um, take it to God, open your heart, and allow the Lord to teach you this, you will find life. The definition that I basically had of, of faith, I'm just getting my, my notes here, the def definition that I had of faith was basically that it is my next or my wonderful attempt to get God to do something for me in this world. That's what I thought faith was. I thought that faith was my... Um, unending hard concentration on God. And the harder I could concentrate on God, the more I would believe I would have faith. And then, uh, you know, inside myself, I saw faith as just, um, you know, quoting enough verses, getting enough energy together to convince myself that God can do something for me. And, uh, you know, that is a very, very difficult life. Uh, what I thought faith was, was, um, man, I basically thought there was a faith meter in heaven. And then when that thing hits green, then God commands the angels and says, go help Bertie. And if it doesn't hit green or if it has hit green and, and the angels is on its way, and I doubt somewhere, or I fear, or I say something wrong, you know, and I have a negative confession, or I would, you know, then the God would just be on the radio telling the angels to stop. Bring that car back to heaven, you know. Bring that house back. You know, it's, it can't manifest. Now, that was never preached that way, but... One thing we need to understand, that the human brain is a very, is a wonderful thing. The human brain has got the cognitive part and the subconscious part. And, you know, when I tell you, for instance, the Holy Spirit will, will, will um, or let me put it this way, if I tell you, if you do this, then God will do that, then your subconscious mind will hear that your cognitive will hear that God will do something if you do it, but the subconscious will also hear that He will not do it if you don't do it. So, I am aiming at your heart tonight. I'm aiming at what the subconscious mind, um, which is the, basically your heart where you live from, has been programmed with through a system wherein we thought that God sits in heaven. He looks as if you have faith. If you have faith, then He will do something for you. Faith is not, now, now this is, and, and please hear me, but faith is not what moves God. 
Faith is not what you need to do to get God to do something for you. Faith is what happens to you when you realize what God has done for you. Faith is something that happens in the human heart when you get a revelation of what Christ has done for you. And, you know, we've had great persuasion that we can, you know, uh, even in, in, in the New Age uh, way of thinking, by your faith, you can do things. You know, human persuasion has got great power. You know, if you, if you go and look at um, the Golden Gate Bridge, you will find that there were engineers and people looking at that massive, you know, a, a gap that between the two, uh, two uh, pieces of land, and they by their own faith, by their own persuasion that they can do it, they built a bridge. That bridge that was built there is today you can, st it's, it's still like a miracle. To take a spaceship and put, it, put, put a man in, uh, 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 in space and land him safely on the earth, it's a miracle. And it is being done by human persuasion and a man being persuaded that he can do it and that nothing is impossible and it comes forth. It's called, uh, it, it can border to, to humanism. There's something inside a human. He's got a certain ability to do things. And when it comes to Christianity and what Christ has done for us, the idea is not to take, like I said last night, God and all the, the, and the way wherein God function and try and duplicate it into your own life and so try and produce a life for yourself. That is not the plan. So when it comes to faith, um, faith is a persuasion of the heart based on the information you receive through the Word of God. And we're going to look at that in depth tonight and I trust that uh, the, the Lord will just give, give all of us, just a, a broaden our understanding, that we can understand how high, how wide, how deep and how long the love of God is. Father, I thank you that as I preach this message, that it will go out with clarity. As your anointing is upon this word, I also thank you that it's upon every man's ear to hear and understand. Amen. I'm going to read Romans 10 verse 9 there. It says, um, because if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Um, for, everyone, for everyone, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. How then shall they call, um, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard, and how will they hear without preaching? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But you have not but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse seventeen, then faith is of hearing, or faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The, the definition for the word faith is the following. It means to be persuaded or to persuade. To persuade, you can see it there. In other words, to induce, um, 
to induce by words to believe, to make a friend, to win one's favor, to gain one's goodwill, to seek to win one, to strive to please one. That's the word, the root word uh, for the word faith. The root word for the word faith means to be persuaded, to have a persuasion on account of certain words um, that you then that, that then brings forth a belief, to make a friend of, to win one's favor. So once you when you get faith, it means that God has won your favor. And when you look at God, you say, I, can, I favor Him. I can trust Him. I can believe in Him. The word believe is the word trust, which means it is confidence, a reliance or resting of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship, or other sound principle of another person. Now, let me explain this. This might sound very complicated. I've just laid the foundation. Let me explain what faith is. Faith is the persuasion that comes to your heart when you see what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's where you have enough information and where you see enough truth that your heart gets convinced that what you hear is the truth. I can come to you now and I can say to you, there on the way here I saw an alien walking next to the, you know, standing on the side of the road. And you will say, oh my goodness, you know, these Africans. <laughs> and then if another guy comes in here and he says, you know what, I just saw an alien next to the road, standing on the side of the road. Once the tenth one comes in here, you're telling your friend, you know, they saw an alien. And you're starting to believe it because there's certain things that speak to the human mind. If more than one person believe it, and you look at these people and you see they're not under the influence of alcohol, they look like good people, they dressed okay, you know, they, they, they look as if they are trustworthy, and when your mind makes those judgments about this person, then your heart will start to say, okay, maybe I can believe what this person says. And after the fifth one that says the same, and it looks like good old country folk that's you know, not going to lie to you, then your heart will start to believe. Your, your heart will, you will start to have faith. You'll be persuaded that it is like that, even if you have not seen it. In the very same way, we in the church have had a difficult time to actually have faith or belief in God. Because... You know, the human, a human being cannot believe in someone that's weird. Now, let me explain that. <clears throat> let me explain that. If I come to you and I say to you, um, now I'm going to use something that might stretch your faith, and I'm not going to actually preach about it, but let me just throw this in here. If I come to you and I say to you, I know a guy. He's my neighbor. He's such a holy person. He's so just that if any of his children commits sin, he's so just that the only way in which he can deal with that sin is he has to punish it with death. It's 
It's very quiet in this place. And then I say to you, but He's so good that since He's got this absolute holiness and justice, he, you know, and he's, he, didn't, he, he, he doesn't want to kill the one who sins, but he's got another son that was willing to be killed by the father. And so, you know, he created a platform from where he can forgive in the midst of his justice. And then I say to you, he also offers to do, you know, babysitting. So if you want to leave your children there, you know, he's willing to do that. Will you have him babysit your children? Come on. And let, just, you know, don't guess, but what if... Listen, I've read the Bible. Okay, I know about all the verses that comes up in your mind. Just relax. And just let this thought enter your heart. Can you trust such a person? You cannot. You cannot. It is impossible. <laughs> you cannot. If I tell you, there's a father, my neighbor, he's such a good guy, that when his son willfully went and dishonored him, he gave his life to bring his son back to the blessings he planned for him from the beginning. And now his son is doing well. And you know what? When he connects with, he's so just and he's so good that he forgives sins and He will give His own life. Not to punish, but to redeem from the sin that kills. Will you say such a person can babysit my children? Yeah, you can believe in Him. You can trust Him. You can be persuaded. If I tell you, my neighbor is such a wonderful person, that what he does is the following. He goes and says to his children, listen, I will put you in a scenario where I'm going to test your faith. And then if you have enough faith and I can be persuaded that you have enough faith, you know what will, what will happen then? Then I will redeem you from that situation and bless you with something. What would you think of such a person? Will you be able to believe in him? No. Not if he's in human form. Never. But if I tell you he's unseen, and I tell you he's got, and I, and I stand in front of you with a suit and a tie and a black book, and I tell you that there's such a person and he's called God, and then I tell you at the end of it all, trust him with your life, and then, if you, and then you will ask, what if I don't trust him with my life? Then he says, well, then I'll condemn you to hell. And then you find that whenever you need to trust, you find that the truster in your heart is always weak or the, the container of faith is always empty. And you don't know why. 
and you come and try and work up faith in this heart to trust this being, you know, that, that will put you in a place where he tests your faith, and if he doesn't see faith, then he's never going to help you, and he's even placed you in a place of doubt and difficulty so that he can see if you will believe him, for he's not willing to do anything for you if you don't believe him. Now, you know, I, I, I do believe in faith to be saved. Don't jump to conclusions. I'm trying to explain to you what the subconscious mind has believed through the traditional teaching we've had about money, through the traditional teaching we've had about faith, through the traditional things. Let's take finances, for instance. Imagine I tell you that I've got a neighbor that is so good that he gives his son, whatever he gives his children, he demands 10% of whatever he gives back, and if they don't do it because of his justice, he declares them cursed. Mm. Will you be able to trust that person with your money, your financial future, and all those kind of things? Never. You might say, well, you know, I hope those children, you know, trust Him and those children do everything because they'll be cursed if they don't. And that's where we have lived. We've lived under this thing, let me just obey God, let me just do the, the things that needs to be done, but we've never come to the place where we've, had, where we've seen a God that has portrayed enough integrity in all aspects of life that the human heart will actually be able to believe in Him wherein the, the veracity and the life of God is so beautif beautifully portrayed that should you not believe in Him, it would be called a sin. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If somebody comes and, and by his whole life and all the good that he's done, comes and portrays to you the most the most beautiful equity of character that portrays to you faithfulness unto death, commitment to you even while you're a sinner, you know, and He portrays it all to you, and you don't believe it, you would actually be sinning towards that person. But you know, when it comes to God... We've come to a place where it is so difficult to believe in Him because the, the critical factor in our brain or what we would call uh, um, the protection system or the firewall in the human brain all the time tells us, be careful of this guy. You cannot trust him. You know, he demands, he loves money more than what he loves his own son. For he will give his son for free. But he's not giving money for free. How are we ever, under a teaching like that, how will we ever get to the place where true generosity will be born in the heart of man? Giving doesn't make you generous. Grace makes you generous. And once you're generous, you'll be giving. You know, when a farmer sows... That's not, that, that's a, that doesn't make him generous. Does a farmer sowing shows his generosity? No, it can be a sign of his stinginess. 
because he wants more. You see, the concept we had about God, never, the concept we traditionally had about God, wherein the character of God is not portrayed as one of an equity and good and one where your mind can go to rest in the integrity of that God, that whole thing has brought the church to a place where we don't even know what faith is. We don't know what belief is. And when we then read the Bible, when we read a beautiful verse, like in Romans uh, um, 10 verse 9 there, uh, we, we just, you know, we want to we find a kind of a method on how to work the system. If you believe with the heart and confess with the mouth, then you shall be saved. You know, and then we have this method. And then you think, okay, but what about the guy that's mute? How's he ever going to be saved? Because he cannot confess with his mouth. And then when you ask questions like that, you are seen as difficult. And questioning scripture. No, no, no. We just want to have something that can actually be understood. We are made in the image and likeness of God. That's why it's possible to understand God. I cannot, and I'm sorry, I cannot believe in one. I can still believe in one that I don't see. But I cannot believe in one that I don't understand. It is humanly impossible. And if you think that you don't understand God, but you believe you are deceiving yourself, it is not humanly possible. You need to understand in order to believe. That's why the Bible says the seed that fell on the road is the word that fell, um, that fell on, a, on a heart that does not believe it. You know, that does not, it says it's he that doesn't understand, and because he didn't understand, the enemy came and took it away. He that was bearing a lot of fruit is he that heard the word and understood it, the Bible says, and therefore he had fruit. So when we read the Bible, always when you talk to God, say, God, I, I thank you that didn't Paul pray? I pray that you will have understanding. Amen. It's not a sin to understand. And God wants you to understand Him. We are in His image and likeness. I want to just read out that one definition again there. Believe. Believe, to believe is a fruit of faith. When faith is to be persuaded because of a certain argument. God has got a certain argument. I'm going to explain it to you what his argument about you, you is, his word. When you hear his word, when you see the facts that God puts in front of you, about you, you'll be persuaded that your sins are forgiven. You'll be persuaded that you stand holy before him. And when you look at how he made you holy, how he did everything he did, then your heart will start to trust him. So you first persuaded and as persuasion comes, you find trust come forth because the persuasion persuades you of, it, is, it brings a confidence and a reliance or a resting of the mind in the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship, or sound principle of another person. So when you want to believe God, what you need to hear is how this being, if you want to believe in God, if you want, want your mind to go at rest in who He is, you'll have to have a word of how He portrays integrity, how He brings forth integrity, veracity, justice, 
how he is portrayed as your friend, and how you see the principle wherein God functions is sound. You have to have a gospel that can fill all of that, or your heart will never trust God. Remember, I would always go, you know, and I, oh, I, I, I believe you, Lord, and I would pray in tongues, and I don't know what, you know, because now I'm trusting God. Imagine I stand here and I, I go up and down, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm up and down here, and, you, and then you say to me, what are you busy with? I say, no, I am believing for my wife to be faithful to me. <laughs> All my effort is a sign that I don't believe that she's faithful. Isn't it? Come on. <laughs> Who of us, if you must go up and down, Quoting all the three good things your wife has done in the past so that you can persuade your heart that she will be faithful today. You're not believing. As simple as that. Am I saying we cannot say, we cannot quote Scripture? I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just challenging. I just want to challenge our belief. What we believe about God. Now let me just read, I'm going to read this verse, I'm not putting it on the board, I'm just reading this verse here, it says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And how will they call in Him of whom they have not believed? How will you call, it says, you must call on the name of the Lord, but how will you call on the name of someone that you cannot believe in? So you first have to believe in Him, before you'll call on His name. Will you ask someone to help you if you don't think He can help you? And will you call someone to come and babysit your children and help you with your children if you don't first believe that He's a good guy? How will we believe, how will we call on Him in whom we have not believed? Do you know what it means to call on the name of the Lord? I always thought calling on the name of the Lord is to say, help Lord. But this is, this is the Greek meaning for it. It says to put a name upon or to surname. To permit oneself to be surnamed. You know what surname is? Surname means to have the family name. Okay? So, when we call upon the name of the Lord is when we say, I permit myself to be surnamed or to have the family name that God has. I'm just reading the Greek here. So how will you be able to say, I can see that I can have that surname or that family name if you have not heard a message that can persuade your heart that you are part of that family. <laughs> so, what is the gospel message? This is the gospel message that God's children in Adam and Eve disobeyed and then God's children was lost. And God's children became slaves of the enemy or the devil. 
But listen to this. If my child goes lost, then my child is lost. My child might even be eternally lost, but it's my child that's lost. And the gospel message is this. You belong to God. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you will not be saved one day. That's not, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about what God lost. And now the prodigal son that's lost is still the son. And when you come to the prodigal son, and the prodigal son can come to his own mind, can come to himself and say, I've got a father. Then he will go back home. So the message to the world out there is the following. There is a God that loves you, that became a human being, showing you are His kind. Showing that He loves you. He even prays and He says, he says to, to, to Mary, He says, My God and your God. My Father and your Father. That was even before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What He's saying is, we are the God kind, our offspring is of God. We live and move as humans and have our being in God. We don't live and move and have our being in chimpanzee. We don't live and move and have our being in bird or in fish or anything like that. We live and move and have our being in God. We are the God kind. And when we can come and we can call upon the name of the Lord, seeing the victory that He has, and be per on, on the foundation of a certain persuasion or a faith, we will find salvation. Now, let me explain this. Verse 14. Let me just wrap this up quickly, just in a one minute. Faith is what happens to you when you see what God has done for you. When you are persuaded of what is done for you, you'll find that His integrity is portrayed in what is done and you'll start to believe in Him. Okay? In order to be saved, you need to call upon the name of the Lord. You would, you would have to see enough reason to say, I am part of that family and His victory is mine. Okay. That is a, just a short summary Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14. How will they then call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in whom, of whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without preaching? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So, in order for, in order for you to have faith, someone needs to be sent. Now let me explain the context there. I remember I always, uh, as a young evangelist, said, you know, how will those people hear if I am not sent? So give me money, send me to uh, Zambia, send me to Mozambique, let me preach the gospel. Now that is also true, how will they hear if someone is not sent? But what Paul is trying to say here is not that. Paul's trying to say something completely different. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying the following. He is saying, guys... Let me use the war Israel always was in and let me explain to you how this thing worked. The war was like this. There was people in a battle and then there was a mountain between the, the, um, the army and the, and the, and the people, the, the, the nation. And then they would have a runner. This runner would always come with a report of how this battle is going. And when he would come over the mountain and they would lose the battle... Then you could see by the way he's running that it's not, they're not winning. 
if he comes with a good report that your king is now Lord, meaning that your king has conquered the enemy. And you can believe that that king represents you, that he's your king, and that your king has conquered the enemy and saved you from the tyranny of the enemy. And if you can see the guy come with that message, you will say, by the way he's running over the mountains, you will say, man, he's carrying good news. And how can that man come with a message of your victory unless the captain or the chief of the army has sent him with a message of the already of the bat battle already been over and the victory already received you cannot send him with a message go tell the nation that we have won unless we've won and this is what Paul is saying he says here how will people have a heart at rest in the integrity of God if they have not heard that Jesus, who conquered sin, who conquered death, is their Lord, and that they belong to Him, and that He conquered their sin, conquered their death. If the, and how will, how, will they ever, how will it ever be possible that someone can be sent unless it's already true? So what Jesus did was, what God did was, He said, Let me become a man. I will take captivity, I will take the law, I will take sin, I will nail it to a cross, I'll end that whole system, I will set my people free, I will lead them out of Egypt, I will help them. And then, if you can believe that truth, you will find that from that belief, a new life comes forth, which is not bound by slavery, which is not bound by the things that you did as a slave, for you don't believe you're a slave anymore. You believe the country belongs to you. That's why Jesus Christ came and He brought a brand new truth, which was the original truth. He brought the truth that says that He has ended separation. He brought a closeness between you and God. He incarnated Him into a human being. He takes that human, sits Him at the right hand of the Father, and as you sit Him there, and you can say, well... I can see that I am included into what is done. And when you can believe that, you will be born again. Because we have been born with a mindset of slavery, but we have not seen the integrity of God. And as we see the integrity of God and what Christ has done, and we say, well, if Jesus became a human, what does that mean? It means He represents me. If he obeys, what does that mean? It means his obedience is mine. If he dies, what does that mean? That means his death is mine. What is, he's resurrected. What does that mean? We've been born again unto a new and living hope. That the resurrection of his immortality belongs to me. When we say that, we are saying that I call upon his name. I'm willing to be surnamed with everything that he has done. When we can say that, that is faith, people. Faith has got nothing to do with, am I going to get a car? Am I going to get money? Am I going to get any of those things? Faith is not directed to what you think God must do for you today. Faith is directed to a historic event and the truth it carries. Many of us believe that Jesus died, but what we don't believe is what it means. We believe that Jesus obeyed on our behalf. We believe He obeyed, but we don't believe what that obedience means. 
We believe He was incarnated into human flesh, but what does it mean? We believe He was seated at the right hand of the Father as a human being, but what does that mean? What does that say about me today? How can I surname myself or have that family name on me? Because we've taken all our faith to, 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 to try and get a car and a house and our payments. Instead of taking the faith and directing it towards what it really is for. And when we, are, when we have that faith in our heart, then we'll find that our heart will believe God. And as your heart believes God, your heart can appropriate everything He's giving to you and you can actually have a better life. It should not be difficult to believe God. Listen, how can it be difficult to believe God? We so easily believe Barack Obama. He can say, I'm going to do this and this and this. If it's right or not, let's say it is not true. You'll find people say, you know what Barack has said again? He's done this, he's doing that, he's doing that. And you believe everything he says. Now if we can believe a human, what about the almighty creator? It's supposed to be easy to believe in him. Not difficult, easy. And we've made faith this difficult thing. I want to tell you, it's one of the most easiest, simplest, most natural things that can ever happen to you is to have faith. Listen to the message of what is done. Take the facts on how he became a human, how he ended your sin, how he took all those things out of the way. Let it, let, listen to that and you will find God persuade, persuasion will come to your heart. I've said this many times in my messages. I don't know if you guys um, have it here, but we had, with us we've got the people that sell these Kirby um, vacuum cleaners. You know, the other day, now it must be about four or five years ago, a guy came to my house and with one of those things, someone sent him there. I thought he, he came, he said, no, he will for free do one of the carpets. You know, so I didn't know it was a demonstration. I said to him, man, thank you so much. You can just go into the studio and just clean the carpet. <laughs> and he says, no, 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 that's not how it works. He says, no, he's got this machine here. I said to him, like a good man of the house, Okay, what does it cost? He says, no, we don't talk about that now. I said, I want to know what the thing costs. Forget the washing of the carpet, whatever. What does the thing cost? The price he gave, I mean, after he said the price, I said to him, can I take my kids to school on this thing? <laughs> because it's expensive, man. And I thought, what a piece of rubbish. This is too much money for this thing. He says, but sir, okay, I told you the price, but now I'm going to do the demonstration. Okay. So he starts with his demonstration. And you know, as he starts his demonstration, I ask him one or two questions. And then he answers me and he shows something else this machine can do. And lo and behold, I found that I had to resist believing in this thing. I had to force myself and say, man, I cannot, you, you must be careful or you're going to spend money here. 
Why? Because the facts persuades the heart. If you struggle to have a persuasion of heart, it's because there's a very big chance you've got the wrong facts. Faith is supposed to be easy. Faith comes by the word. Okay? That persuasion. At the end of the day, I did not buy. He, 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 he just got me 90% there, but, you know, maybe I needed one more thing to be fully persuaded, you know. I couldn't believe that it would be good for me to buy that thing, for I was not fully persuaded. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So, when we look at faith, what is great faith, what is small faith? Faith is the persuasion that comes to the human heart when we can say the following. Adam, God's original plan for me was friendship with him and to live in me. Adam came and he brought in slavery. Jesus Christ came, he took Adam and he took everything Adam did and, he, and, he, and everything Satan did in Adam and nailed it to a cross. When it died, the poison that kills me died in, that, in Jesus. When Jesus was, was buried and then raised from the dead in human form, it means the following. It means that Jesus is the place that was prepared in heaven for me. I've got a place in the Godhead in Christ. That's what I believe. That is my persuasion. That is my faith. What that faith does is it eliminates any other form of logic which would be legalism and law. So if you, if, I, if you come to me and say to me, for instance, Bertie, you must do five things for God before God will do anything for you. I will say to you, I cannot believe you. Why? Because there was a man, there was a God that became a man, and then that man obeyed on my behalf, died on my behalf, was seated at the right hand of the Father on my behalf, and I am... I am saying that, that I can see how I was included in that since he became a human, and I call upon that truth. That is, that is the truth about me. So I'm not inside that logic. And what, what this truth does, and this persuasion does, is it removes everything wherein we will use um, human willpower to try and produce the life of God. It removes that from you, and it gives you the life of God as a gift. Okay. Three, three more verses and then we finished. I just, I just had to lay this foundation, otherwise you will struggle to understand these. Luke 17, and we're going to read from verse 1. Okay. And he said to his disciples, It's impossible but that offenses will come, but woe to him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and were cast into the depth of the sea that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he trespass against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day turns again to you saying, I repent, you shall, uh, you shall forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, give me more faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine, or a kind of fig tree, be rooted up and planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now let me explain this. You know, isn't it funny talk? Jesus comes and he says to them, listen guys, you know, if somebody sins against you, forgive him seven times in a day. Now the law said three times. Jesus said seven times. 
The Pharisees said, give me more faith. I mean, these disciples said, give me more faith. So what was their faith? Their faith was the persuasion that they can do it. It wasn't the persuasion of the cross and what, you know, uh, um, you know, what Jesus has done. It is the persuasion that I can do it. The persuasion that I can make this business work. That, he says, just give me more persuasion that I can do it and I will forgive seven times. Now listen to, the, all of a sudden, when they said that to Jesus, Jesus said to them, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this tree, a sycamine tree, be planted in the sea. Be uprooted and planted. Now how does he, how does he talk, I mean, you be talking about faith and then he talks about a, a kind of a fig tree all of a sudden. How does he get to that? Jesus comes and he says to them, I want to tell you something. What you he said, forgive seven times. They say, we cannot increase our faith. That we can do what needs to be done in order to be saved. That we can work the right works. Jesus said, if you have the right faith, you will say to this tree. What tree is he talking about? He's talking about the tree that was growing in their hearts, the belief system that was rooted in their hearts, which says that by works, you can attain salvation. To that tree, you will say, be uprooted and planted in the sea. What does true faith do? True faith is directed towards uprooting the legalistic system in your heart. True faith says, I'm qualified because of Him, I'm loved because of Him, and true faith says that True faith doesn't say, give me more power and then I'll be able to meet the requirement whereby I can be blessed. True faith says that I have been qualified. Because you've got enough facts to prove that and the facts is all written in Jesus. Now you might say, I'm not sure about that interpretation. Let's read on. But which of you who has a servant plowing or feeding will say to him immediately after he has come from the field, come recline or let me serve you. Will not say to him, prepare something so that I may eat and gird yourself and serve me until I eat and drink and afterwards you shall eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I don't think so. So likewise you, when you have done all the things were commanded, you say we are unprofitable servants for we have done what we ought to do. Let me explain that. Jesus said, forgive seven times. What did the law say? Three times. So what did his disciples do? They got it right to forgive three times, and then they thought, well, we are profitable servants, you know. We have done what the master said. So now that we have forgiven three times, I'm sure now God can come and serve us because we have forgiven three times. He says, that's not how it works. Do you think a servant, if he finishes his job at noon, that the master is going to say, go home? No, he's going to give him more work. And then, he, and then he'll have to serve himself at the end of the day, and the master is not going to serve him. And then at the end of the day, he must say, you know, I've just done my work. So Jesus, they came in, they said, we've forgiven three times. Jesus says, okay, I see you finished with that. Let me give you more work. So that if you want to be justified by your works, you must always say, I'm an unprofitable servant. But what he said is, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this tree, what tree? The tree of I work and then I will have. 
the tree of I need to qualify, and then I'll have. You will say, be uprooted. It means the very root of it will be taken out of your heart and will be planted into the sea. Why the sea? The Bible says, He buries my, buried my sins in the depth of the sea and carried my guilt far away. The first thing that happened to, to the disciples when Jesus said seven times was guilt. And then the way they want to deal with their guilt is more works. And then he said, you will say to this guilt, more works system, be planted in the sea if you have faith. Meantime, we've used our faith for anything else but that. For we haven't had the faith that could say to the tree, be uprooted. We, what we're actually doing is, we were using the leaves of this fig tree, and we were clothing ourselves, for we felt naked. When we would say seven times, we felt naked, clothe me. Just clothe me with another leaf of this fig tree. I feel ashamed. I could only forgive three times, but seven times, let me clothe me with this fig tree. Which is works. And then they had this noble heart to say, God, if you pile the law up, just give us more willpower to do it, and we'll do it. Jesus said, that's not faith. True faith tells this system to get out of his life. Mark eleven twenty one. Well-known faith scripture. And Peter, remembering said to him, Rabbi, behold, the fig tree which you have cursed has withered away. And Jesus answered and said unto him, have, faith, have the faith of God, for truly I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be moved and cast into the sea, it shall, and, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe, have a mind at rest in the integrity of God, that what he has said shall occur, he shall have whatsoever he says. Now let me explain that. <clears throat> Jesus, um, on his way to Jerusalem, he walked past a fig tree. Now, he's always had an issue with a fig tree. And <clears throat> the issue he had with the fig tree was from the Garden of Eden. And it was a narrative explaining, talking about man clothing himself by his own works. And he came to the fig tree and he said to the fig tree, or, and the fig tree didn't have any fruit. And he said, you know, you are cursed and never shall man eat of you again. Why? Because he was about to end that system. Then from there he went to Jerusalem. This happened just outside of Jerusalem. He went into Jerusalem and he cleaned out the temple. After he cleaned out the temple and you overthrow the Jews' money tables, then you don't sleep in Jerusalem. The Bible says in that night he slept outside of Jerusalem because he was messing everything up there. The next morning they wake up and Peter this tree. And he said, Lord, look how quickly this thing withered. In normal language, look how quickly the law thing has passed away. And he said, listen, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but you'll say to this mountain, what mountain? It's just outside of Jerusalem. The temple mount. There where the temple was standing, where, which represented all the law and everything Jesus had to come and do to save man. You know, which is, talks about works righteousness. You'll say to this temple, this mountain, 
be cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but you have the faith of God, or you are of the same persuasion as what God is of, this mountain shall be moved out of your life. You know, we have had the mountain of the law in our life. We have had the mountain of works righteousness in our life. We have the mountain of all the commandments in our life. But if you are of the persuasion God is of, if you have the faith of God, which is that God is persuaded that your sins were paid for, God is persuaded that your sins were taken out of the way, God is persuaded that there is a human being seated at the right hand of the Father. God is persuaded of that. God is persuaded that that human is your high priest. God is persuaded that that human is the place that He prepared in Him for you to dwell in. God is persuaded that Jesus is God's Word about your life. Jesus the human speaks of something. Like you would find a big pit bull terrier at a gate says something. He says, danger, don't enter, you know, hospital, pain. That is what the pit bull says. In the same way, when there's a human at the right hand of the Father, he says something. It spells something. It is a word. And God's persuasion is based on the word seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you can be persuaded of that truth, you will say to any legalistic system which tells you you can be justified by your works, which disqualifies you, you will... You will never eat of it and you will tell to the mountain, the root of the whole thing, be planted in the sea, which is the old Jewish legalistic law system which was born, from, born into mankind from Adam. You will say, be planted into the sea, I'm forgiven, I'm separated from this, this is the depth of the ocean and I cannot reach it again. That is what it means to walk in faith, to walk with the persuasion of God. Hallelujah! Before I came here, um, we, we, we rented, let me make this very practical. In two, th and I can't remember, eight years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, my wife and I, we were living in someone else's house on a farm. And um, I, was, I started a church in a certain area there. After I planted the church, I gave it over to the people that asked me to come and plant the church. And then, you know, after I've given the church over, then I withdraw from the church because I want them to, um, to accept the new leader and whatever. And six months later, six to eight months later, I was sitting there and I said to my wife, you know, we are sitting here in this town. It's not a beautiful town. It's not where we want to live for the rest of our lives. Um, you know, why do we live here? Why do we live here? And she said, yes, you know, we've always been renting and she also wants her own house and because she's a very creative, artistic person and she can really decorate the place so beautifully. And she said, every time I just decorate other people's homes and I want my own. I said, well, I don't have the money to buy you a house, and if I get enough money to buy a house, I'm going to spend it on spreading, spreading the gospel. But I don't say, you cannot have a house. Let's just ask God for a house. And we prayed. We didn't even have enough money to move to another house in that town. Now, what about buying a house? It's impossible. So we took a map of South Africa, 
and uh, we started on the east coast and we said where do we want to live do we want to live in the center of the country the ocean where well ocean but not on the beach a little bit away from the ocean otherwise everything is salt and rusts and everything so um, we just talk about different towns and we didn't have peace in our heart with some of them and when we came down to the area to, to a certain area we said well this is a nice place so uh, lovey what do you think but when we sat down there we said God thank you that you think with us you work in us and, and we will just talk together and uh, I, I said to her what about this place she says that sounds good and that place's name is Malmesbury. And uh, so we looked at the map and we prayed after that. This was the prayer. Father, we would love to live here. Um, thank you. Amen. That was it. And then I, I literally forgot about it because, my goodness, you know, this house thing. But what I had in my heart was, I just know I've got a father that loves me. That's all. If I live in my own house now, tomorrow, ever or never, I don't care. The Father loves me. Then, three days later, telephone rings. I pick up. It's one of my old friends from university. You know, years, I mean, I haven't seen him in so many years. He says, Bertie, you know, I, um, how are you? No, fine, everything. He said, you know, I had a dream last night. I said, what did you dream? He says, I dreamt that I must buy you a house. I said, thank you, and I put the phone down. I was shocked. <laughs> then I called him the next day. I said, yo, man, I, wanna, I don't, I don't want to sound rude or anything, but I was shocked. He said, um, he said, listen, you can have a house anywhere you want, but if you have it in Malmesbury, the town we named, you know, that area, then we said Malmesbury, Mariasburg. It's two towns there. Then, then it will be easier for him because he lives in Malmesbury. Oh, well. So I got the house. Six months later, I first left it because I don't want, you know, sometimes people are just overwhelmed by emotion and they make a promise they can't keep, so I just left it. Six months later, he calls me. He says, listen, do you now want the house or not? I said, now I know. You know, I can go and take the house. So I went down there, picked the house. He said, is this the one you want? I said, yes. He said, okay, it's yours. And he bought me the house. Now, what has that got to do with the fig tree? Now, once you get that house, there's a voice that comes to you. That voice says, you see, you are the blessed of God based on receiving a house. Then I say to that tree, <laughs> because my persuasion is not that I'm blessed because I've got a house. I'm not prosperous because I've got a house or because there's money in my bank account. No, I've got one word about my life, and that is that Jesus Christ's perfection belongs to me as a free gift, and that's the only definition about my life. If I go there and I say, I'm blessed by this house, you know, and I'm the blessed of God because I got the house. You know what? One year later, I would have been sobbing because when 2008, when the economic meltdown came, I lost 70% of my income. And then that voice would have said, you're the cursed of God. 
And then I would have said, what must I do not to be cursed? And then I will start to think fasting, prayer, evangelism, and all those kind of things, and the devil would give me such a long list of good things to do to get me out of the curse I'm in. But because of a certain persuasion, you could say to that tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea. Amen. Great faith and small faith, I end off with these two verses. There was a centurion, I'm not even going to read this, there was a centurion, he came to Jesus, he said, Jesus, my servant is sick. Jesus said to him, um, I'll come and heal him. He says, no, 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 I'm not worthy that you come under my house, under the roof of my house. Because that time, the, the, the centurion was a Roman, and the Jews had no dealings with the Romans, and he knew that he was disqualified by the law for Jesus to come there. And all, because he was a centurion, you know, it, would have been think, it, it could have been very negative to him as well. But he said this, In the midst of it all, if you just speak the word, he shall be healed. Then Jesus said, Such great faith have I never even seen in Israel. Another example of great faith was the woman that was a Greek woman. She came to Jesus, said, heal my daughter. Jesus said to her, according to the law, you're a dog. I cannot come and heal your daughter. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. What were these two people actually saying? They said, even in the full disqualification of the law, even if the law disqualifies me, the word of God, supersedes the power of the law. And I'm blessed. And Jesus said, great is your faith. Why? Because they were persuaded with the persuasion of God, which says that Jesus is greater than our disqualification by the law, is greater than that system, and that he can reach me. That's what, that is great faith. And when they had that persuasion, they said to the mountain, to that Greek woman, it was a mountain, because here is Jesus himself, according to the law, saying to her, you're a dog, you're disqualified by the law. She says, I don't even care if it comes out of your words, out of your mouth, Jesus. You are greater than this disqualification, and I can eat the bread that falls from the master's table, and you can feed me in the midst of the disqualification that you see in the law. Now, isn't that amazing? That's great faith. So, you were always wondering if you have faith. In the meantime, you always had great faith. <laughs> For great faith is not in how persuaded you are, but what you are persuaded of. Are you persuaded that Jesus took all your sin? That's great faith. Are you persuaded that you made righteous by His doing? That is great faith. Is it easy to have in the presence of a guy, who be, of a God who became a man, who obeyed on our behalf, who died on our behalf, who was raised on our behalf? Is that easy to believe? Oh, yes, we can see it. We've always believed it. But what the enemy has done is, he's changed our definition of faith into the things of this world, when we should say, I don't care if I've got a Bentley or a jet, or if I walk, if I've got a bicycle, I don't care. Those things can never define me. There's one word about my life, it's the resurrected Jesus. Just before I came here, we rented the office next door, and... Um, and I said to my wife, you know what, we're wasting our money by renting this office because it's a house next door. 
it would have been nice if we could have bought the house, but we can't buy the house, it's too expensive, and we will, um, what we're going to do is we're going to fix up our double garage and make a studio and office in there. So we got all the rights to do it and everything, it's a whole big thing, and, and we did it. And then um, a guy came, a, a guy that was busy going bankrupt, and I've always helped him for years, and I don't know exactly what happened, but I think he, you know, he's, you know, this is what happened. He, he had a, f man, I don't actually want even to say who the guy is, you know, if people listen to this later on, they will know who it is, so I don't want to say, but what happened is he sold something and got a lot of money, but he was on the edge of being bankrupt, and he was touching his heart, and he just said, I want to pay for half of that house. And he put half of the money into my bank account. Who would expect a guy that is stressing out is going to go bankrupt within a short period of time to pay half of a house? Now imagine I go and I say, or you sit there, you say, Bert, has received one house and he's received half a house. <laughs> you know, now what about me and what must I do? The moment you say, what must I do that that can happen to me, I want to tell you, if you have the faith of God, you will say to that tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, for there's only one word about your life. Nothing in this life can ever define you. Even if all the riches, all the health, all the, all the wisdom in this world would be yours, it can never define you. You need a glorified, resurrected human body with a glorified new planet to, to have a body that can give expression to who and what you are. So why will we live in a place defining ourselves by, by a faith that is just for stuff? Can we believe that God will care for us? My goodness, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? That's it. We don't have a works provision. We've got a worth provision. That's how God provides for us. And I end off with this short summary. What is great faith? Great faith, effortless faith, is the persuasion that is already in your heart by knowing that Jesus took all your sin, represented you in His incarnation, obedience, death, and resurrection, and that that which Jesus Christ was raised up into is your hope. If you are persuaded of that, and that you don't have to live by the law anymore, but that Jesus is the word about you, if you persuade of that, you have got what we call great faith. That's what the Bible defines as great faith. Full persuasion of what Christ has done and what it means. That is what great faith is. So I want to introduce you to the great faith that you have always had. And what the enemy wanted you to believe is that that is not enough to have peace in this life. I received a house, I've received a car, I've received a, a half other house, uh, I've been tremendously blessed in my life. There was times of extreme poverty as well. But in, in the midst of all those things, I received all of it without trying to confess and claim and frame and market and park it and any of those things.
my heart was just, I've got an Abba. And if I had a need in my heart, I just told my Abba, and that's it. Isn't that the easy way? That's the easy way. And when you've asked your father in the definition where this tree is uprooted, you don't find that you feel, if it happens today, it happens today, man. My son, he had today, we prayed for him, he had, um, I don't know what you call it, but he's, the, the right medical terms for it, but his lung collapse. It, it happened before, and now his lung, he, he knows exactly how it feels when the lung collapse. And then he's two weeks in the hospital, and they put a pipe through his ribs, and it, this time they had to do a, will have to do another operation on him and whatever. And he phoned me this morning and said, Dad, you know, I can feel my lung is doing that same thing again because he knows how it feels. Now, he's just started university and he's doing engineering course and in three weeks, I think it's three weeks, they're writing exams. And that will be two weeks in hospital for him. You know what that means? It's going to fail his year because that is such a difficult course. So, um, I asked Jordan, I said, pray, I will agree. And he prayed for him. And I said, after I prayed for him, I said, do you feel a difference? He says, no. I said, go and take an x-ray. Now that would have been said, that's unbelief. No. The child is stressed out. It, I believe, I've got a trust that my father will provide for him. And this was my trust in my Abba. This is what it boiled down to. If my son fails, even if he should fail, his life is bound to be blessed. Doesn't matter. Even if this lung thing would be like that, my rest is not in if the lung gets healed or not. I've got a rest that's greater than the lung. And there was a rest in my heart. I said, go and have the x-ray. And I knew in my heart what the result was going to be. And while he was sitting there, he said to the woman that took him there, I wonder if I shouldn't go home before they even took the x-ray. She's waiting for this now. She said, why? He says, I don't feel, you know, I, I feel better. They did the x-ray and nothing wrong with him. Glory to God. But you know what? That, the fact that he got healed there, it says nothing about me. It's got no voice. That tree of works and what we attain has been removed. Thank God just for the healing. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you have come to give us great faith. I thank you, Lord, that the greatness of our faith is to believe that all sin has been taken away, is to believe that we can stake the family name of God and write it behind our name. Thank you, Father, that every person that is here can say tonight that I see enough reason through the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to say that me as a human being have got a place in the Godhead. My God has conquered Satan. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin in the flesh. He's conquered fear. He's conquered the voice of the law. He's conquered all disqualification. And He's given me a place in the Trinity. I thank you, Father, that these people can believe this, that they can experience this and have the abundance of life that comes from that truth. I thank you, Lord, that people that go out here today, every question they have shall be answered by you. 
thank you, Father, for the love and the life that you have given us. In Jesus' mighty name.